Good morning to everyone. As Todd just mentioned earlier, it's hard for me to believe that this is the fifth Sunday that we have not been able to meet together. And just uh, yesterday or a few days ago, the governor has extended the shelter-in-place order until the middle of May, and so that means our time together um, has been delayed. This is an extraordinary time. Uh, I was heard yesterday that Stephen King made the comment that he wished everybody would stop saying, this is like being in a Stephen King novel. But that's, that's how strange uh, this is. Uh, but one, one of the things that the pandemic has um, surfaced in one of the fallouts is how it's disrupted the, the uh, patterns, the, the rituals that we have in our life, things that uh, we do that make life uh, manageable, make life predictable. And some of those rhythms, like uh, children getting up early in the morning, uh, you go into the coffee shop on the way to work, your weekly um, dinner with your friends or lunch with your friends. Uh, now that that is gone, that has shown us that life is, we cannot plan life the way we want it to be. That in many ways that our lives are not in control at all. And this pandemic has showed that, but ultimately it is God who showed that. And so many of you find yourselves... Uh, with a lot of emotions like anger or anxiety or fear or frustration. So how do you feel on this Easter morning? Well, it's Easter. We're here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And his resurrection says that he has control over all things. That he is the Lord of this present evil age and through his death and resurrection... He is the Lord of an age to come where there will be a new heavens and a new earth. This is exactly what our text is about today. We see a lot about the resurrection and Paul's response to that resurrection, how the reality of that resurrection impacted his life and should impact our lives. So if you would, open with me to your Bibles. I think it's printed there for you or on your screen. It's Philippians chapter 3, beginning verse 1. We'll read through verses, verse 11. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, ask for zeal persecuting the church, ask for righteousness based on the law faultless. But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, for whose sake I have lost all things. And I consider them garbage that I may know Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we rejoice in in this day as we celebrate our Lord's resurrection. Father, we thank you that every day we can celebrate that, and every Lord's Day we celebrate as we come together. As we look to Christ who has made all things through his life, death, and resurrection. So, Father, we ask that you would bless this time as we look at your word. Not only that we would see Christ uh, with our eyes as we look at your word, but that you would move our hearts uh, to embrace him and to rest in him. And we ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. Last week, Matt began the sermon by explaining why it is that we are continuing through the book of Philippians and not doing a series that addresses the present pandemic. I kind of chuckled when uh, Matt said, it's it's not because we're stubborn uh, and we want to get through the material, uh, but it's because we believe that the book of Philippians addresses this issue. In fact, we think this book addresses about every issue Uh, that you can find in life. In fact, Paul in the next chapter says this, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. In this passage, Paul is, is, is telling us that his contentment is booting off what we're looking at in our text, and that is the resurrection of Christ, that he knows Christ. He knows the power of his resurrection. And so there's just two things I want to look at in our text uh, this morning. The first thing to see is this, is the reality of Christ's resurrection. And then secondly, what is the proper response to his resurrection? Well, where do we see the reality of his resurrection? It's actually all through our text, uh, particularly verses 10 and 11, and we'll come back to that. But I, I really see this especially in verse 1, where Paul says this, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Now, I started thinking about that word uh, rejoice, first off, to rejoice in the Lord. And so I began to look it up. It's, it's actually used over 200 times uh, in the Bible. It is throughout the Old Testament. And what's clear is I looked at many of these verses, we're not rejoicing because of the law of God. We're not rejoicing because we're ethical people. Psalm chapter uh, 5, Psalm 5, uh, verse 
11 says this, and this is kind of representative of what rejoicing is. He says, but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice. You see, Paul is not rejoicing in the teaching of Jesus. He's not rejoicing in the ethics of Jesus. He's rejoicing in the Lord, and he asked us to rejoice in the Lord. Now, how can he do that? <laughs> it's because he's alive. Uh, we can know him. We can rejoice in our relationship with him. Well, why would he interject this right here in, in the middle of this letter? It's right in the middle of the letter that he says, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Well, you've got to remember this. Uh, Paul has been writing a letter in response to a problem. He's in prison. And while he's in the Roman prison, uh, he gets word that where the church where he had preached, the church of Philippi, the gospel had gone and there was a unity well, there was beginning to be disunity. There were beginning to be uh, factions uh, within the church. And Paul is concerned uh, about this. In fact, in chapter 4, he says that we are to be citizens. We are citizens of heaven. And we're to reflect that citizenship as God's people. But rather than bearing the, the fruit of citizenship, what they were just beginning to look like the world uh, who live for this world and living for this world rather than for Christ creates the tensions, creates the disappointments, creates uh, the anger and the frustration. And we see this in verse, uh, verses 2 through 6. We see the, the, the source of their disunity was the false teaching that had perverted the gospel a free grace. They taught that believing in Christ is, 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 and his atoning sacrifice is not enough. Uh, that's too easy. But we not only need to believe in Christ, but we must return to the law of Moses. And so it turns the gospel from Christ alone and what he's accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection to, yes, Jesus died plus. The Apostle Paul, throughout, uh, the, the, throughout his epistles, but particularly in the book of Romans and the book of Galatians and a host of, of other letters, taught that the purpose of the law was to simply expose the virus of sin. And the law is not to be some compact, it's not to be some antidote to the virus that's there, but it is to expose our great need, and to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is the antidote, that he is the end of the law. And so when Paul met Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus, he didn't understand all these scriptures, but he met Jesus, and whatever Paul believed before was wrong, because... Christ is risen. But then he began to study the scriptures as he was called to be an apostle. And what he discovered in the scriptures is that Jesus is the end of the law. 
that he is the gift of God's righteousness to us. And so Paul is able to say, hey, listen, these men that they talk about their pedigree or spiritual pedigree, I I can do them better. But whatever gain I had in my pedigree or my education or my righteousness, I now consider garbage and rubbish. And so he says, rejoice. Rejoice for what Christ has done and all that he's accomplished in his resurrection. That he is the mediator of a new and better covenant. And we can be clothed in the very righteousness of Christ, our risen Lord. Let me illustrate it this way before I come to to the second point. Many of you know I'm the youngest of of six boys. And uh, I always got hand-me-down clothes. I, I thought they were great because they were new to me. I thought, well, my brother wore what's cool. And so when they got tired of it, they gave it to me. I got rid of what I didn't, you know, my old clothes. And so I had these new hand-me-downs. And when I started dating Mary Beth, I considered myself well-dressed because, after all, their old stuff was new stuff to me. And I was especially uh, happy when I got the hand-me-down shoes. But the problem with the shoes is that they had bigger feet than I did. And so one day after a date with Mary Beth, she comes in and her younger sister says uh, to Mary Beth, why does Hal wear those witches' shoes? Mary Beth said, what do you mean? She said, well, you know, like the leprechaun shoes, the shoes that curl up at the end. So the hand-me-downs that I thought I had that I thought really looked good, and I guess Mary Beth was gracious to me, uh, I probably wasn't that presentable. But when I was in college, while I was dating Mary Beth, my dad decided to buy me a new suit of clothes. He bought me a new suit, bought me new shoes, bought me new pants, bought me a new shirt. And I remember putting on that suit, looking in the mirror, and I'm like, wow, I didn't know I could look that good. And so when I got home, First thing I wanted to do was call Mary Beth up and say, what are you doing tonight? And so I went to pick her up, and there I was in my brand-new pants that fit, my shoes uh, that fit, and um, I was presentable. Well, this is exactly what Paul is saying. He said, you know, I thought that that I was dressing the part, uh, clothed in the hand-me-down of morality, and uh, good works. But when I met Christ, and I realized that I was clothed in his righteousness, then all those things that I had before, all those filthy hand-me-down rags of my own righteousness and my own works, I've thrown them in the garbage, and I consider them to be garbage so Paul says, listen, quit fighting, quit grumbling, because you see, because Christ has given us, through his death, burial, and resurrection, the wedding clothes 
waiting for the feast to come. That's the first thing. The reality of Christ's resurrection. He's risen. We should be rejoicing this day, no matter what our circumstances. But the second thing is this. What is our, what should be our proper response to his resurrection? We see this in verses 10 and 11, and I'll allude to that in a moment. But here's a reality that we all have to think about. It's one thing to believe in the resurrection, to believe it intellectually, and it's quite another thing to believe into the resurrection. I would assume if you ask the average Joe church member, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? They would say, of course I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we know that James tells us that the demons believe, but they're not transformed. So you believe intellectually, but have you experienced him? Do you know him in a way that as you look to Christ, has his resurrection, has this relationship melted your hearts? Well, you might say, well, you know what? I, I, uh, I believe in the resurrection, but I don't necessarily want to be one of those religious fanatics. I don't want to be like that person who comes to work and talks about Jesus all the time, like a broken record, but he doesn't do his work. And then when he goes home, he watches religious channels, not Netflix. But you see, that's not what it means to, to believe in to the resurrection of Christ. That's not what it means to have the power of the resurrection in your life. What that actually means is this, that you see everything, everything through the lens of Christ's resurrection. You see everything in life, everything about life for you is now, in, in light of your relationship and your union with Christ and his resurrection, so when you worry, you go to Jesus. And when you're bitter and you know that that's not the way the kingdom of God works, and you struggle with that, you go to Jesus. And when you're concerned about your finances or your relationships, you go to Christ you don't say Christ is the most important person to me. You say, as Paul said, for me to, to live is Christ. Everything in my life, everything I see, I see through the lens of being in union with Christ and in light of the resurrection. Well, Paul shows us what that's like in verses 10 and 11. The three things, actually, that we see from Paul that we can learn and is the reality of somebody who is living in light of the resurrection. And the first is this we see in verse 10, that you want to know him. You want to have a relationship with him. Paul says, you might say, he, might, he says, oh, that I might know him. Not how do I keep the rules, what is the plan for the day, what are the principles that you want to live by, but you want to know him. You want to live for him. Read a lot of books on trying to be a good husband, but the reality is I have learned being a good husband or trying to be in my actual relationship with my, my, my wife. In fact, I've learned from my wife that though I can't do what the book says, 
that she is going to love me. Secondly, he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And what is that power? It's that same power that came upon Christ and raised his dead human body and raised it and translated it to give him his glorified body, his resurrection body. And Paul says, I want to know that power. And it's the power that when you look to Christ, you give yourself to him. It is a power that can take your dead soul, marked by fear and worry and anger and anxiety and frustration, and make you alive so that you can have this relationship with Jesus Christ. So you want to know him. And then you want to know the power of his resurrection. You want to know that power that was at work in Christ to be at work in you. And the third thing, that's the indicator not only that we have an intellectual understanding, but we've actually met Jesus, been saved by grace through his resurrection power. And that is this, you want to fellowship in his sufferings. That I might know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, life was not easy for Jesus. He lived a powerful life because he lived a life unlike anybody else. Because his life was about giving himself. He said, I did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Someone had put it this way. Paul initially looks to Christ and he's converted. He sees the risen Christ. But what he's saying in this text, in the sharing and the suffering, of, uh, in the fellowship of his suffering, is now he is looking back to the cross. And that as he lives in this life, in light of the res- resurrection, he gives himself to Christ to be crucified with him. Said that Paul's able to say, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, I want to close with a story I read today. Uh, it's a very powerful story. It was uh, t- told by a doctor in Italy. And he is working in one of the hot spots. And most of the physicians that he is working with are atheists. And uh, they were describing, he was describing how these atheist doctors were under this enormous shock because of the onslaught of death. These doctors believed that science, he said, had eliminated God from intelligent human beings and exhausted by their work in which two of these doctors died, a 75-year-old pastor was admitted a couple of weeks ago. And while he was there, though he was laboring in his breathing, and he was very sick, he would go around reading the scriptures to the other suffering patients. 
holding their heads as they died. And these atheistic doctors, he said, were so intrigued that they began listening to him reading the scriptures. Finally, surrounded by the reality of death, including the death of the pastor that they were watching, they began to pray that God would come to their aid. And they discovered the peace that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. This is the power of the resurrection. This is what Easter is about. May we give ourselves to him and rest in his resurrection power. Amen.